uh, Joanna, a friend of mine who grew up in Portugal was telling me that in school, when you're leaning back, like I always did this in school, like when you're leaning back on your two back legs of your chair, you know, mm -hmm. so like if you go too far, you're going to fall over. They say you don't want to end up like Salazar. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, really? Because, yes. because Salazar, the myth goes that he, uh, he died, although obviously that's not what happened but that he fell off his chair and that's why he ended up in hospital and that's how he died which obviously for this mythological figure um it's a sort of quite pathetic uh ending um obviously the the issue is that he had long uh standing health issues um mm. but it was it was the fall of the chair that caused him to die so yeah that's the that, lamest that is the reason shit behind I've it. it is it is such a i mean portugal is um Silly in many ways. I'm trying to be <laughs> politically correct. Silly in many, many ways. And uh, and uh, what one could argue without wanting to diminish the horrors of the dictatorship that even its dictatorship was fucking pathetic. Uh, can I swear here, by the way? Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. That is Please. good to know. Okay. But that's such a weird. That's such a weird thing, though. Of that, then that's the less embarrassing way of dying is <laughs> leaning back in your chair. One of those things of like, like almost as a story or, you know, like one of the German. Yeah. That sounds like a German fairy tale yeah, yeah, thing exactly. of like that. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or like the weird German lies of that. If you like stand too close to a wall or something that you're going to have like cold. Or this like or Peter shit or like someone, if you suck your, your thumb, they're going to cut it off. Yeah, exactly. It but off. it's the, it's the, yeah. you know, former dictator of a country. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's basically, I mean, not that it was seen as a punishment. Like, I don't think the left at the time thought this was exactly the ending we wanted for the dictator was that to fall off a chair, if anything, was, was a very mellow way of, of going about it by the establishment of the day. Mm. But yeah, that is why kids uh, balancing themselves on chairs uh, are threatened that if you fall off, you might end up like Salazar, which one would hope doesn't mean you'd end up like a proto-fascist. Um, but there you go. Yeah, I, I would do it just in spite, just to show that I'm built different and that I'm not going <laughs> to die from it. Communists don't die when they fall off the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to your weekly Corner Spatey. We've got the full gang here today. You're joined by me, Kieran. I'm also with Yulia. Hello. <laughs> Rob. That's right. Nick. Hi. And our special guest today to talk to us about Portugal, a country we haven't talked about enough on this podcast, if at all ever I'm struggling to remember. Uh, Joanna. Hello. Hi. Hola. Hola. Oh, it's Portuguese. There See? you go. Yeah, we get the best here on the show. <laughs> Um, so obviously we wanted to have someone on to talk about Portugal because, well, there was an election, I guess. Um, I, I don't know if you know, Joanna, but the, the, the arc of this uh, most recent episodes of this show is me fighting Nick and Yulia to make sure that we talk about countries other than the German election uh, that's coming up this year. <laughs> that, is the, that is the struggle. Hey, um, we made a separate show for it, so we can, you know, yeah. we can do whatever we want. We outsourced yeah, the we German outsourced election. <laughs> yeah, we outsourced the German election to one German and an American, which is, <laughs> oh, nice. you know, normal Deutsche somehow. Yeah, yeah, we are we are Deutsche Welle. <laughs> 
I mean, that is so apt to the, you know, the days we're living through right now, don't you think? Right. I mean, there is there is all this nostalgia for post-war consensus, really. Um, so We are, we, we represent not? exactly that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Atlanticism alive and well. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so... Yeah, you and I are talk- joining NATO, so, like, <laughs> I forgot to mention that as well. <laughs> they're just, they're letting people join now, just individuals. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right, yeah, so the, the, the presidential election, I just wanted to talk about this because it kind of seems like not much actually happened in the election itself. There was a mm. pretty predictable who was going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone's name I'm going to butcher right now. Um, Marcelo. Yeah. Uh, Rebello. Yeah. So far, so good. De Souza. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Bingo. Congrats. <laughs> Mazel tov. That's pretty good, yeah. Marcel Gebild Souza, that would be how I say it, um, oh. and how I'll probably say it throughout the show, but your anglicization of it is is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Excellent. I, uh, that's, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> but yeah, he, he won pretty handily, uh, 60.7%. And um, I just want to talk about him before we go any further into the actual main topic, because what's interesting about this election is Chega and Ventura um but we'll need to explain all of this but yes 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 absolutely um but i was stricken by your description of marcelo in the uh uh, recent jackman piece you wrote as the uh king of selfies um (laughs) he's also known as the i'm trying to translate this into english but something along the lines of president of emotions you know he's the he's the (laughs) beloved the the friendly dude you know you're you're instead of your corner shpiti, he's your corner grandpa, you know. Um, uh-huh. And it's, I mean, Marcel Pilsoza is an interesting character. And I think we should start explaining the Portuguese uh, presidential elections, including mm. the, the rise of the uh, alt-right, I would call it straight out fascist uh, party, Shiga, which, which means enough, by the way, which you've already mentioned, mm. um, and its leader, André Ventura. Perhaps with Marcel Rebelo Souza. Marcel Rebelo Souza represents the status quo establishment of, of of Portugal. He's been around for decades, a good nearly forty years in politics, always in a sort of populist showman kind of thing. You know, Marcel for Marcel, we called him my first name, which is not particularly popular in Portugal. You would usually call politicians by, if you use only one name, it'll be by their surnames usually, but Marcelo is not the most common of first names, I guess, perhaps, and he's become such an unavoidable figure over the last few years that he's now Marcelo, or sometimes called Professor Marcelo, Professor Marcelo, because he is a law professor in, in, um, in oh God, I think it is the uh, State University in Lisbon, I hope it's not a private one that I'm making a huge mm. mistake, but I'm pretty sure it's the the state, the Lisbon University, state university, um, and you know, a tenured professor and and whatnot. Um, and he not only has he been around for ages and has been this sort of populist de facto or very propaganda fiend uh, uh, kind of politician. He loves stunts. I think I mentioned in that article in Jacobin in 1989. 
for the Lisbon mayoral elections, Marcel Rebelo de Sousa decides to drive a cab around, mm. and and this is before the time of YouTube and all that kind of you know uh, viewpoint camera uh, spectacle stuff. Exactly, and mm. so Lisboners would be pretty fucking surprised uh, by by this politician at this point already relatively known driving them around because he was actually driving and taking f- uh, fees as far as I know or the fare as far as I recall uh, or just not donating to the campaign <laughs> exactly and then another thing he did was to jump in Tejo which is the river that uh, uh, flows through Lisbon um, which at the time and and for a few good years after uh, was incredibly dirty in fact to this day I wouldn't necessarily think of, of taking a dip in Tejo it's cleaner than it was in the 90s it was infamously known as being you know a, a bath of pollution but for whatever reason you know like to show off as a stunt he did it so he did a series of these things until more recently uh, about the last I don't know nearly 10 years he had been um, a commentator on the fourth channel in Portugal which is a private uh, televisions channel and he was one of the main commentators for the evening news right so he would be a pundit would come along he had a little like I don't know 15 minute segment in which he would comment on matters of the day on Friday I don't remember what it was and he became incredibly popular as this quasi-aristocratic figure you know the intellectual yes he was conservative but not so conservative in his presentation he himself is a profoundly conservative catholic with monarchic tendencies by the by um kind of man but in his opinions he came across as this lovely older man who you know was a democrat but nonetheless would tell you how it is and uh and yeah and grandmothers across portugal loved him mine certainly did um and he he basically campaigned i mean that is the phrase of of the day in portugal in the last few months and and when he first got elected uh president um for the first term, so he, this was his, his re-election, we should have mentioned, or I should have mentioned that at the beginning, um, in which he, in, in 2016, he got first elected president. Um, so the years before that, in which he was on TV, he was effectively campaigning already. Um, and you can see the trajectory of, you know, mm. the sort of elderly statesman it was building. And so much so in which we get to this, uh, this year's presidential election, the man did not campaign at all. I'm, I'm not kidding. He did not do any online radios. He did not buy billboards. He did not have a program. All no he said, no taxi, nothing like that. All he said was the few bits and bobs of campaign he did, which were absolutely minimal, were mostly to do with the pandemic rather than actually presidential campaigning. He would drive around himself in a car on his own. Um, and that was it. And he had no, I mean, literally what he was saying was, did you like what I did the last five years? Fabulous elect me again <laughs> that was it that i mean and it worked and it worked and it did work because yeah. he is an interesting phenomenon and there there are a lot of other politicians certainly in his space of politics attempting to do the same thing by means of preparing the grounds now by going on tv being like pundits and so on mm. so this is marcel Souza, a man whose uh, party is the um interestingly called social democratic party <laughs> it's not a social democratic party it's the equivalent to the conservative party mm. uh anywhere else i mean in in, in britain where i live it's uh, the equivalent to the tories um 
The reason why it has a, such a lefty name is because obviously after the revolution, every single party, including those of the right, had uh, lefty names in, a, in, a, in some shape or form. I mean, yeah. this is an oversimplification, by the way. I could explain to you why, but I think for the average listener, it, it's way too boring at this point. Um, but in any case, don't be... Uh, uh, confused, confused, Tricked. or yeah, indeed, <laughs> conned by the social democracy and the name of the party. It's it's effectively the Conservative Party, and he was very openly a member of that party until he became president. Um, and by the time he became president, in I said in 2016, the first time he got elected, he um, sort of lifted his membership uh, symbolically, I guess, mm. while he's I think president. As living in Germany, we are, I think, all all. All four of us are very aware of the fact that a social democratic party uh, <laughs> can be pretty much a right wing party. Oh, yeah, classic. So, yeah. I mean, this is not to say that the social democratic party in Portugal, which is called the Socialist Party, so you can of course, see the theme yes. here of everything being a bit to the left, uh, at least in name, um, is has in in many respects uh, certainly in in the last you know 20 years uh, been very much a, a neoliberal center the, the mm. neoliberal center left understanding of a of a, se- a social democratic party and mm. um and they have not have they have not gone through the same um upheav- well, I don't want to say upheavals like but uh, sort of pushes from it's perhaps younger left wings as some other social democratic parties have witnessed. Um, I guess uh, the SPD in, in Germany is not a good comparison necessarily, but you do see a youth of the SPD being incredibly Marxist compared to, Oh yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to, to its, to its leadership uh, mm. by far, although his, its new leadership is slightly trying to, yeah. uh, you know, play to that uh, perhaps, I mean, you'd be better judges of it, but, uh, but in Portugal, not even that, I, I would say the the younger generations or the younger members are to the left of the leadership and of the center of the party or the, the core, sorry, the establishment of the party. Mm-hmm. But that said, it would be a bit far-fetched to call them, you know, Bernie Sanderites or or yeah. uh, Corbynistas or whatever you want to call them to give to give examples internationally. They're still a thoroughly um, social democratic with uh, neoliberal tendencies. They have been pushed to the left by parties outside mm. of the Socialist Party. Um, so yeah, sorry, like. This is an explanation of the Portuguese <laughs> politics at large at this point. It will be here for four hours. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I guess like just, just to, to um, address what you were saying, Kieran, and then you, I'll let you lead this conversation again. Uh, <laughs> stop me at any moment, please. Like, um, the, the big story here uh, and in these elections were, yes, of course, the result was pretty much to be expected, the re-election of the incumbent uh, of mm-hmm. Marcel Belsouza. But there was suddenly uh, this candidate from the far right, which we already mentioned, um, Andre Ventura, who did it mostly to promote his own party and his own name, but who got a lot of traction whilst he did that. And Mm. then basically everything else followed from these two phenomena. Um, But yeah, I'll let you be the compare (laughs) once again. No, it's good. It's good. Um, I'm kind of curious, though. There's one before we go away from the election and Portuguese electoral politics at large. There is this one kind of like question, which is the turnout rate. Mm. Uh, 39.5% that's down 10% from the last presidential election. 
Yes, but um, not as bad as the one before that. So which oh, okay. was uh, closer to forty, I think. Right. So the, uh, the I guess the question though is the is this pandemic or is it apathy? Because I can understand either reason being what's going on here. I don't think the pandemic helped. Uh, hmm. I think that is it would be foolish to say otherwise. But um, there is a question of apathy and apoliticization in Portugal mm. that that has, you know, depends how we look at it. If we think of 74 and how the turnout was nearly 100% um, and it's been downhill ever since, it, it depends where you, where you set the bar. But um, there is a question of, which you, you see across certainly the, the, the Northern Hemisphere, um, of a certain disengagement with politics in my opinion, and in the opinion of many other uh, critics, not even only those on the left, to do with the uh, sort of con- convergence of the center, be it left or right, in which people feel like none of these people represent us. Um, and so they become disengaged. They don't feel they have much to say because what they have to say is not then really uh, uh reflected in in government in presidents in mm. local authorities and whatever it might be um and in particular pres- presidential elections that feel even more detached from a normal person's re- you know an average person's reality um i feel a lot of people felt like well it's just another one we have two more elements or one more element beyond pandemic um this year electoral law changed a little bit meaning that anyone who is registered living abroad automatically was registered to vote abroad whilst before you needed to register your vote on top of just being registered as a resident in london like in my case Mm. um and for a lot of people that means and you don't have postal ballots for presidential elections for uh general elections you do so on general elections last time i could my the, the ballot came to me i could vote although there were issues with that as well but this time i had to go all the way to the consulate now uh, you have four in to give a, the example of the united kingdom um across the united kingdom so great britain and northern ireland you had four places to vote the consulate in Manchester, the consulate in London, the embassy in London, and the sort of, let's call it consulate in, or consulate representation in Belfast. You know, you have a massive Portuguese, comparatively speaking, a massive Portuguese uh, demographic in Southampton on the southern coast, not least in terms of, in pandemic times, but even, even in normal times, nobody would, you know, come to London one day for the sake of, of a vote in presidential election. So, and the same, I'm sure, was applicable to France, Germany, Canada, you name it, um, which are countries that have big Portuguese uh, uh, communities. So mm. you had that also. Um, so abstention is huge, is a concern, but I think as always with abstention, the question is not so much, are people apathetic, but why are they apathetic and what can we do to mm. make them less so? It's interesting that there's a consulate in Belfast. I, I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's a sort of like it's not it's a diplomatic representation or something along those lines. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know either until I I saw these uh, the information for these elections. To be honest, so there you go. Uh, but yeah, there's there's not a Portuguese population in Belfast. At least not one that I've ever noticed. <laughs> Brazilian, maybe that's as close as gosh. 
Well, you could have Brazilians who have Portuguese citizenship as well, who could vote. Brazilians can vote in Portuguese elections if they so decide. So uh, there is an agreement between Brazil and Portugal in which if you decide to vote for in Portugal, you can vote in Portugal instead, not both. Mm. Um, so it could be that. Um, I don't I don't know why there is a, a diplomatic <laughs> corps, a Portuguese <laughs> diplomatic corps in, in Belfast. But, you know, um, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I found that out. But in any case, like I think it, it was, it was, it was tragic, really, that a lot mm. of people and you know the Portuguese migration wave has never been bigger than in the. I mean, since the the sixties and seventies, since you know before the revolution, has never been bigger um, than in the austerity period uh, in the last mm. ten fifteen years. Right. So you know, like I am actually not exactly a product of that. But most people of my generation who live abroad are. Yeah. Um, so I, I came to study in, in the UK and I ended up staying. But again, as, as I was mentioning earlier, before we started recording, I, I mm. am a bit too generous in the sense that I went to a German school, in, which counts as an international school in Lisbon and so on. So I was sort of always reared to to mm. leave uh, in a way uh don't tell my mother uh but uh but yeah but like but most there's a lot of people of my, our generation who live yeah. in, abroad now because they couldn't find jobs you know like youth unemployment was huge um and is still yeah. quite big so As they left Irish, yeah as an irish person not living in ireland i can't find this in any way relatable yes. uh, <laughs> completely different situation pigs sure. unite Yes. yes, exactly. Do you remember, I, I do you remember that acronym, the P I I G S? Yeah, yeah where they had to put the second I. Ireland, yeah. Are you the second yeah, or the first? I never know. <laughs> no, the first I was Italy. It was all this kind of yeah. like Mediterranean <laughs> stuff, and then they're like, "Oh shit, Ireland's South fucked Europe. the bed as well." I, I always, I always spelled it with two eyes. So rightfully uh, because, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I just felt like you know this is a derogatory term. We gotta you know uh, uh, what's the word? Co-opted and and yeah. somehow <laughs> use it with pride. Them straight. Include. <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> exactly. I thought uh, Ireland so, yeah, was no always well. included no, in it. Weren't. Oh, well, no, okay. yeah. it was Italy, no, Portugal. Before two thousand and eight, everyone was Spain. like, "Look, neoliberalism works. Look at Ireland; it's doing <laughs> so great." Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Portugal is still used, even you know, and this is, I guess, perhaps internationally the interesting element. Um, Portugal is used very often still to this day as the example of post-austerity great success obviously mm. coronavirus has came has come to to ruin that image a little bit quite a little bit um but the whole idea in fact the term was the good student of europe right unlike Ooh. spain and greece that rebelled oh Ooh, just like a, the Baltics. <laughs> yeah uh so so you know portugal is always seen as the the good student of Europe, the the ones who applied austerity and nonetheless didn't rebel, which is not even true. There were huge demonstrations. Mm. There was a, a serious movement of precarious workers that pushed things to the left so much so that once elections happen again, you find yourself with a left sort of government arch uh, between the far left let's call it far left mm -hmm. and and the social and the socialist party and um, which was the government that we had until last year um which the socialist government sort of inherited and continued with a, with a minority government but unless without the left parties at this point um and that was all really a consequence of the rebellion against what was happening but obviously the Do ladies and gentlemen in brussels believed that instead because there wasn't some sort of like you know saritza in government uh portugal was was yeah. uh 
brilliant. Do you, think, do you think that's related to the other, I don't know, political myth or narrative you hear about Portugal a lot, which is like, well, the right, it can't happen here. Or mm -hmm. there's like more institutional resistance to like a far right populist party. Uh, hmm. I think it, it certainly enables a lot of the Portuguese own understanding of themselves as a very mellow people, you know, like, for instance, colonialism, we were so mellow, you know, like, it was the Spanish who, like, killed indigenous people with melted gold, we just, you know, raped them instead. Uh, so, you know, like, that's kind of the narrative in Portugal is like, we were the good colonialist, we just brought Catholicism and schools, uh, which is absolutely pathetic and quite disgusting in my in my in my view but um but it certainly enables that kind of idea that even we live we wallow in our own misery and we're really even when we're pressing others we're not that bad which is ridiculous it's not the case <laughs> neither should we think that we wallow in our own misery you know this whole idea of fado you know the traditional uh music style of folk style in portugal of just you know singing about our blues effectively and be proud of how shitty our lives are it, it's 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 nefarious and it was part of the rhetoric of the dictatorship um by the way mm. but uh, but as far as this sort of couldn't happen here in terms of, of fascism perhaps as the other side of the coin um yes perhaps it's funny you say that because i don't feel but maybe i live in a bubble because i'm on the left um and and even the people i know who are not on the left uh namely my family would never argue that you know the right couldn't come back um so i don't hear the sort of it, could, it would never happen here um rhetoric or line very often i do however see a lot of people being dismissive of what is happening um as sort of oh you know it's just people being uh, it's just hyperbole it's it's nonsense it's silly why are we giving it that much attention um sometimes it's well-intentioned this kind of attitude for instance people who argue that we shouldn't talk about the far right because talking about it is giving it a platform in a way and giving it more air to breathe and grow um and i i am sympathetic unfortunately i think it's a little too late for that um the other is is more pernicious or more towards what you're saying which is this kind of dismissive attitude towards the like oh you know it would never happen here ultimately people say things like it would never happen here what they mean is it would never happen to me they will tendentially be white, uh, somewhat middle class urban people who are not suffering or who have not suffered the um, the serious violence of, of fascism, be it during the dictatorship, perhaps, or if they have, they felt it so little that they've forgotten by now. Um, or alternatively, they have not, because there was a massive skinheads movement in Portugal in the 90s um, that did murder several people. Uh, that are still that is still around. In fact, some of the far right leaders, not necessarily in Shiga, although they do like Shiga a lot, um, but you know, some of the people who were condemned for crimes and, and for murder are still around. Do still lead far right organizations, Ill illegal, obviously far right organizations in Portugal. Um, but obviously, the people say it would never happen here. Did not have to face these kinds of groups in the nineties. They thought they were football hooligans, and so what. You know, the black mm. communities in Portugal have witnessed that. The feminists in the left uh, have witnessed that. So, you know, it, it depends on who you're asking. And since I live in the in the feminist Marxist bubble, I don't have to face that line very often. Yeah, it just struck me all, when you were describing the other narrative that like the flip side of 
look at this, the good student of Europe accepting austerity. The flip side of that is, well, to accept austerity, you don't do the bad right populist, you know, response to austerity. That maybe there's some connection there. But yes, I mean, although since you brought it up, let's let's get into I'm sorry, you can No, I was just gonna say, yeah, absolutely, except that unfortunately both the resistance and the far right did end up showing up in Portugal. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, no, I mean, let's get into it. So uh, you mentioned Chega, you mentioned um, Andre Ventura already. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're, you can just tell us about them. Who are, who are they? What's mm-hmm. the background? What's, what is Chega? I mean, I would separate the questions, but they seem like one and the same. Like it's the yeah, person, the vehicle of the yes. Andre Ventura personally. They're, but um, yeah, how would you, how would you explain the phenomenon? There's definitely a bit of a cult of personality going on there. Um so I, I should put the proviso that I'm not an expert on on uh, fascist groups in Portugal, um, but I guess for for the sake of the uh, foreign listener or or not uh, necessarily expert listener, I'll try to do my best as a synthesis, and it should be hope enough. Um, so Andre Ventura was a, a conservative party a local authority candidate. He did get in as what in the UK is called a councillor at one point, um, in Lourdes, which is uh, an area in the Lisbon outskirts, suburbs. I mean, it's part of Great Lisbon, Metropolitan Lisbon. And um, and he was very much groomed, I guess, or, or supported by the then leader and prime minister uh, of the Conservative Party of PSD, um, Pascual. And... Uh, and Pascual, who was himself very, very conservative in a Thatcherite mode, uh, knew about the particularly anti-Roma um, uh, kind of op- opinions. Let's put it—I mm. don't know, like commentary uh, line that that Andre Ventura used because, lo and behold, the area where he was running does have a, a Roma traveler community. Um, and and did nothing about that and instead continued supporting this man. At the same time, Ventura also got a gig as a football commentator in uh, the TV channel, news TV channel, that the equivalent to The Sun uh, in the UK, in Portugal, <laughs> launched. So uh, Correio da Manhã, or CM, um, launched a TV channel, a news 24 uh, 7 news channel, uh, lowest of the low, Fox News on crack kind of uh, <laughs> uh, vibes. And, and Andre Ventura was uh, a football commentator on it. Um, <laughs> it's just very perfect. Like, I'm right? American, we had a game show host, billionaire president, and I have had other friends send me clips of football commentators arguing on Portuguese TV, which are just like a series of large men yelling at each other. <laughs> it's, you know, like, I mean, Portugal is incredibly patriarchal, very macho. Rarely do you find yourself with with women commentators. I mean, even at, on the night of the elections, uh, the, the female commentators were few and far between. Let And I'm just mentioning gender. Let's not even go into race, you know, like minorities. Let's not even go there. Let's just talk about gender to make it super simple. <laughs> even women who are very rare to be seen, even in mainstream um, uh, channels, let alone in the sort of, you know, gutter press, in this case, gutter broadcasting, that is CMTV. It's the name of the channel. And um, and and since you're mentioning uh, Donald Trump here, I think it should not be go amiss that Andre Ventura does look up and 
totally copy very, very blunt, uh, blatantly Donald Trump in gestures, in rhetoric, you name it. I mean, the lack of imagination is, I mean, it's just also proves how, you know, like low IQ these people have on a certain, on a certain level. And I don't know if that's the source for, for relief or, or for a serious despair, but anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, the mixture was all there, right? Like he has um, a mainstream party's platform that he can use. And then he has this TV platform. It's also, of course, now the most watched private channel uh, oh, cool. in Portugal. Of course it is. You'd love to see it. Um, honestly, anyway, let's not even. <laughs> production <laughs> values are low. Oh yeah, that's, uh, and that, that's, that's, you know. that's what I like to see. I love just the cast of characters that end up in European politics who start off on TV. Uh, you, you want to talk about that Greek man? I love. Yeah, it's like there's a uh, the uh, my one of my favorite worst characters in European <laughs> politics is I believe he's the current like home secretary of Greece. Yeah, who used to be a uh, book salesman. On, on TV, TV in Greece, yeah. horribly low quality of production. Hello, it was um, <laughs> extremely racist, extremely so anti-Semitic, and he is the second in command of New Democracy. So nice. yeah, it nice. seems to be a seems to be a vibe, especially but in Southern Europe. Selling books on TV requires a certain type of character. <laughs> well, 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 this this is the thing. Like once you've done telesales. You're mm. you're you're set up for life. What yeah. could you know? You've got, had to deal with all sorts of of demeaning, uh, uh, low budget uh, palavras. So you know, politics is 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 you know easy. It's easy yeah. after that, Maybe yeah. It's, like it's a fucking cakewalk. Yeah, exactly. Because you're just talking the whole fucking time. You just you just keep talking and you just keep trying to sell something that nobody wants to buy. So, hey, what's <laughs> politics then? If that baby, exactly, exactly. I was just gonna say, sorry, we are still talking about TV, right? Not politics. <laughs> uh, hmm. that, that's like, I thought we were talking about podcasting. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like that American quote that politics is TV for ugly people, but then like <laughs> telesales is definitely also literally TV for ugly people. <laughs> and now the two have combined. Yes, um, So yeah, so that's that's how Andre Ventura started. And um, and then eventually in, in about, well, the party was launched in 2019, Shiga. Um, mm. I don't know when this brilliant idea came up in his little uh, nugget mind, but he... He realized correctly, because even though he's an idiot, he's not that much of an idiot, that he had more of an audience in his incredibly uh, xenophobic, bigoted opinions, having a platform either on, on social media or I guess on TV, although on TV he was commenting on football, not necessarily on on politics directly. Um, but he realized he had a better platform, he could, he could have a better platform for platform for himself creating his own party then running within the the PSD which mm. obviously has its own uh hierarchies and you know hundreds of other uh xenophobic racist men already trying to vie for the for the leadership mm. so um so you know he 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 went for it and and obviously as these things go i have no idea where where he started off from if he was already a fascist that you know didn't think it was possible to be so outwardly or whether he became a fascist because it suited his own brand uh mm. who knows i don't really care to be honest yeah. but that is effectively what happened he he created a party that um 
went straight into a space that was being left vacant by a failing uh, Catholic conservative party. There is there is a the, the far left, quote unquote, in, in Portugal since the uh, revolution, of course, um, has been mostly represented by a party called CDSPP, which is um, or CDSPP, which hmm. is the uh, Christian Democratic party or catholic democratic in portugal of course yeah. and um and, and it had in during the austerity years effectively formed a coalition government and then ran as a as a coalition with the uh center right the conservative party the psd um mm. and so in that process created an identity crisis for the party in from which it hasn't yet recovered it is now led by a a, a young Buck, <laughs> the, who is really not prepped up for the job, but does have a lot of the base's support, um, and uh, and it just left it left a space vacant within the political spectrum, uh, particularly as you know things started, you know the the recovery from the austerity years or the austerity years and the recovery therefrom uh, created also space for more radical politics and unfortunately radical politics does not mean only mean from the left but also from the right mm. and and ventura which you know like again the party was launched in 2019 elections had happened in 2015 in which the far left um was able to create a governmental alliance with um the socialist party or the sort of labor party in portugal and so the right to the right was in an identity crisis the far right or the democratic far right as as we would call it and mm. and uh and Ventura spotted an opportunity to do something about it and did. And then very quickly within the space of the year, he ran of, of a year, he ran for elections uh, for the general elections by in October, 2019 and won the seat himself. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and more than that, as soon as he did, I mean, literally about three months later, he announced that he was going to run for president. So this has constantly been a question of, and maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit here in terms of our conversation, but hmm. for the far right, this is not about just yet about gaining power, but about making its ideas normal. So normalizing hmm. far right uh, rhetoric and also pushing this, the, the political discourse further to the right. So yeah. Obviously, in the in, in the process, the the center, the traditional center right, has moved to the right as well. The Catholic conservatives have either disappeared of or also moved to the right at times using Shiga in, I mean, particularly the Azores, the latest uh, regional, uh, autonomous regional area of Azores had mm. had a, a, a local election, and they needed, in order to form a government, the center right or the the democratic right needed an extra uh um mp let's call it and and they used shiga the one the one that was got elected and so they were happy to form government with shiga mm. and that caused waves of uproar in portugal continental portugal as well as as the rest uh so that's azores and madeira for for listeners who are not very uh au fait with portuguese uh geography um and and but also set a precedent, which is which is uh, the point here. So mm. you find yourselves in to to kind of make this short, and I bet you're bored as hell. I mean, not everyone <laughs> no, has the capacity no, no. to be fascinated by this the whole time. This is our podcast. This yeah. is what we do. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the, there's there's no accounting for taste, friends. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, you know, what you find yourself in is a process of um, uh, radicalization, political radicalization mm. on the ground 
as well as an apathy from the traditional center voter. Uh, Mm. The center itself either having to be pushed to the right one from the right or slightly ever so slightly to the left when of the center left. And and then suddenly a vacuum uh, happening that allows for the far right to grow. Needless to say, it's not as if they only came out of the vacuum. They came out of, you know, genuine far right or pure racist organizations or non-organizations, just opinions people who are already there, who have been there ever since, uh, you know, mm. the dictatorship or who have been born since or have been radicalized in the direction since, the, you know, to suggest that this is a recent phenomenon would be would be uh, farcical. But that said, Ventura with this with this his party that lives very much off of him. I mean, I don't know how they would do. He's a little bit like Nigel Farage of UKIP in, in the UK. Yeah. For many years, Nigel Farage would do things like, if we don't win this, which they wouldn't, of course, I'm going to step down. He would step down, he would run again, he would win again. Ventura has done that once already and has pledged he will step down and go for uh, primary elections in this party for, for leadership. Mm. I mean, I would bet my bottom dollar that he's going to win again. Because that is what what the whole party is for to to promote him him to promote the party, but um, but this is what the the scenario you have now. And in case uh, you guys don't know, but you probably do at this point. But for the listener, Portugal has local authority elections in six nine months time, something like that. Mm. So those are the next ones coming up, and those are crucial in terms of of you know um, the immediate consequences of of this kind of. Uh, politics being made mainstream because obviously at local election level it is very likely that populists and particularly far-right populists uh, in particular in in the sort of uh, um, inland of of Portugal the sort of rural areas of Portugal are very likely to be able to elect a few um, councillors for Chega and that and that creates a serious base a a base of legitimacy Mm -hmm. so on the one hand a sort of politically establishment for them but also just the normalization in terms of normal discourse and and as you know obviously as as in the states and everywhere else uh, mainstream media loves to lap up all the kind of nonsense that comes from the far right because they do say nonsense and it sells it's it's bombastic Mm. it's it's you know it's a little bit like the playboy of politics, you know. Uh, they are huge tits. So uh, I, I read politics for the articles. Um, <laughs> this had me actually thinking. Weirdly enough, um, I, I I know that we're talking about Portugal, but the 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 trend Please. that then I find that's always very interesting within I think European politics, maybe not as a whole, but I think I've this trend is very much in Germany currently. And this trend happened in Greece as well, two countries that I do know a decent amount about their political landscape of I mean, yeah, there is like a there's a political like opportunity structure when this happens. uh, Yeah, 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 of course. But the thing that's so interesting of that is like currently the AFD is like just not doing well. And there's the sense of that what's if like if the CDU could like like Friedrich Merz being on the ballot for them to be the head of the party was that potential like we could then like scoop up that right wing vote. Yeah, it's always a yeah, interesting idea. But, it's always the idea of like the conservative parties to do that. Yeah, yeah, and the, like some parties like that have a relatively conservative you know view of the world. I would say Germany is one of them. It's very easy for that type of politic that then is the extreme right in the case of the AFD just to get scooped back up. Well, it worked in Greece, didn't it? 
Exactly, like, yeah. Like, ne- New Democracy yeah. literally was just like, well, Christy Avi, like, Golden Dawn is really racist, and they won, like, 13% of the vote. We can just double down, like, like kind of delude their rhetoric a bit, and, like, Golden Dawn did not end up back in Parliament. And mm-hmm. I would argue that the current government of, you know, Greece also has a much more conservative history than, you know, Portugal does, even though they both had, a, I would say... Um, you know, similar-ish 20th century with, you know, dictatorships and whatnot. Mm, mm. But... Um, and radical have, movements as well, it, yeah. as, a, as a resistance to it, yeah. Sure. Exactly, yeah. Strong and left, I think it's yeah. really interesting, the sense of that there's um, the um, the right using them that opportunity of like, well, you see, like, like I mean, who I, I, I don't want to like, you know, look into the future and say that then Che is going to make the country like more conservative or whatever. But it is very possible that then that in order for, you know, the main established parties who are already on the right to preserve their voting, like, I don't know how many votes they're losing or whatever, but that has been a strategy for a lot of major parties within Europe, and they've won recent elections that way. So Mm. it is kind of, like, interesting to see that this, I mean, all these countries' timelines are, you know, different, like, history is a, you know, cool thing and whatnot. I think it'd be kind of interesting to see what then that, um, like, how then Chega that because you said that then one of their goals was like you know let's push the consensus for the right wing. I think that's worked in a lot of countries. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the Tories in the UK kind of destroyed mm. UKIP by becoming yep. UKIP. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A perfect yeah. example. Um, okay, like. I also agree that there isn't a one-size-fits-all kind of approach mm, of course, to, yeah. to politics or history. But um, but if we are to draw some parallels, um, there is an interesting thing. Just before I say what I what I do mean to say um, in in a moment about about uh, Paul Mason, who I've interestingly enough interviewed today. So I, it might sound oh, like plagiarizing, but I want to I want to say that I'm <laughs> taking a lifting is straight from him. So you know I'm I'm uh, owing up to that. But before I say that. The, the center-right party in Portugal, PSD, on the night of the election, uh, defined itself as the center, the new center, the real center. Uh, okay. Which it's, you know, like using this understanding of the center whilst having, having consciously or not, pushed the whole whole process to the right themselves mm. by enabling the far right the far right by itself they've seeded um, the ground exactly but they're now they're now they're redefining the political spectrum as they at the center which obviously means everything has been pushed to the right but just just to get to to what um so paul has a has a new book coming out um sometime later this year uh which is about fascism and how to beat fascism in the 21st century and and his concept, which which I you know, and I've, I've worked with Paul before, so you know I, I'm biased, but nonetheless I, I do it profoundly echoes with me that ultimately the aims of the far right or the so-called alt right uh, today hmm. are not necessarily of gaining power. And I've, I've already said something similar at the beginning of, of the podcast, but um, I kind of want to to emphasize this. Uh, and if, if you want, we can pick examples from from both the U.S. as well as Europe on it. Um, not to necessarily gain power, but again, to normalize a kind of understanding of reality that is not just undemocratic or not just anti-democratic, but profoundly undemocratic. And that makes a democratic process not only impossible, but impossible to be reestablished. So they want to uh, um, 
create a, a utopia or a dystopia in this case that makes democratic process in which everyone has you know uh, uh, is is um has a i so has suffrage jesus like you know this is what happens when you record at night uh, uh I've, I've had a lot of coffees today but clearly not enough to to last me up until this hour i'm in my 30s you see so that's my excuse um in which everyone has has suffrage in in a, in a western democracy to to make that completely disappear and 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 i think there is there is a very serious point about that um because indeed, what what you see with with the far right, and you definitely see the arguments that that the 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 Shiga party is saying, particularly Andre Ventura is saying, on his victory, quote unquote, because obviously he didn't win, he mm. he ended up Andre Ventura ended up third, and he was still lauded, in effect, in the way in which the newspapers covered it, as if he was the victor of the night, which he was, if you if you understand it, is not who ended up first, but who ended up with the most uh, headlines. Um, oh, the Pete Buttigieg uh, of, of Portugal, I see. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, <laughs> equally small and, 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 and probably uh, small-sized genitals too, I, I suspect. Oh yes, given, let's go. Given, yeah. the, given, given the way in which they both hold themselves, I, I would say there is some sort of compensation going on somewhere there, but you know, I mean, this is even more interesting when you think that a lot of Paul's argument is that the anti-fascists we should let learn lessons from in history or not as obviously is everyone else as well but in particular the ones that are often uh, um, less paid attention to are mm. Erich Fromm and and uh, Wilhelm Reich uh, two German psycho uh, analysts so you know oh, yeah. let's talk about dicks by all means you know fascism <laughs> and dicks is 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 profoundly related um, but anyway my, my point was more and driven to the on the night um, he said there is one of the one of the sentences the main things that he kept on repeating was there is no future government without us he is literally pointing mm. at the center right saying if you want to be more than the opposition ever which are not even a very efficient opposition at this point because they again are dealing with an identity crisis they haven't yet fully recovered from um, or found a solution to a synthesis dialectical synthesis whatever you want to define it as Shigen knows we're not going to govern necessarily by winning, but we can govern if we ally ourselves to uh, the center right by pushing the rhetoric to to the right, by pushing them to the right with us, mm. by bringing everyone down to the fucking gutter. Um, and so I think there is there is, and particularly for those who want to beat this kind of rhetoric and who want to create anti-fascism for a twenty first century, we need to understand this. It's not about just them wanting to you know win ground; is how they want to win ground. And therefore, what kind of strategies they'll apply. Hmm. Has the left done that in Portugal, these presidential elections? It has not. Hmm. Should have done. Should it have put forward? So it fielded, I, perhaps we should, because I, mean, I know that, Kieran, when we spoke before the recording, you want to speak a little bit about um, the left. What is the left doing? Hmm. Um like the left had three candidates uh, this this these presidential elections, um, it had the uh, socialist party candidate, so the government's candidate. Although the government technically did not support her, uh, Anna Gomes, who ran on a sort of pro-European social democrat kind <laughs> of you know platform, I guess she's a she's a she's a good you know like she's a good politician for for a social democrat. I, I should I should say I, I have 
quite a, a bit of respect for her, certainly within these elections. She mm. knew she wasn't going to win much. She had just lost her husband. Um, she knew she would have had to push a sort of anti-fascist uh, approach to some degree, regardless of the limitations of, of her speeches and, 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 and campaign. Um, and she did, and she still ended up second. Yeah. Uh, and without the support of her own party, which is important oh. to mention, because her own party effectively supported the incumbent, supported uh, Marcel Bielsoza. Mm. And then there were two more. The far left uh, put forward a left bloc, which is a bloc Chikirda, uh which is an anti-capitalist party um, com- composed of Syria, uh, several different types of Marxists and, and non-Marxist anti-capitalist uh, uh, people. Uh, put forward Marisa Matias, who has run the last elections as well in, in, in 2016 and who ended up second, I believe, last time. So had a okay. really quite incredible result. I mean, this is still small, but nonetheless quite incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Communist Party or the electoral platform they usually run in, which is the CDU. I know it's confusing for Germans <laughs> to right. hear this. Yes. Uh, the Communist Party of the CDU. Yeah. I wish, and I the wish. worst is... <laughs> The Wolfgang Schäuble, like, prince, uh, pr- president of Portugal, yes. <laughs> Cent- the center block, right there. Um, no, the, the worst part is that the CDU in Portugal also has a blue, like often has blue uh, uh, logos or whatever oh, no. icon. So it's like, oh, for, for me, who has this sort of German side of me, was always like, oh, this is so oh, shit. confusing. Yes. Um, but the reason they're called Trauma. CDU is because they, they run with the Greens in Portugal. They always run with the Greens. Um, well, that is other, something other we could have here as yeah, well. I don't see the difference. <laughs> I don't. See Flash forward <laughs> to September of this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We right. have so, the green so city. You, <laughs> hey, you guys, Nick and Yulia, you want to talk about German elections? I delivered for you. So you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you can thank me I feel later. Betrayed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so they they put forward uh, a guy called Jean Freire. The interesting thing about these three uh, uh, left candidates is that they're all former MEPs. So I don't know what's going on with the left in Portugal. But um, I mean, I have to say, I don't have a problem with Jean Freire, the communist uh, candidate running, because he is a hottie. Uh, I love his line of of shampoos and... and (laughs) He says his name's John Frieda, right? Jean Freire. Oh, it's I heard close. John, it's close I heard John enough. Frieda, which it is, is the John. Cosmetics yeah. company. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess the English version of it would be like you know, if he had, if he had, uh, you know, uh, migrated <laughs> to to America and had to like anglicize <laughs> his name, that would be how he would have done it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just heard he is a hottie. So yeah. So you're just googling him right now on her phone. So. Also, dude, dude. There's there's two very uh, hot men in, in Portuguese politics, um, like actual politicians. One was from the left block and has unfortunately like taken a step back after a slight scandal to do with uh, being a landlord. Uh, Had a step back. No, no, no. No, nothing. I mean, bless him. You know, like he's 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 a I, I, he's a comrade in many respects. So I feel mm-hmm. bad, uh, but uh, about saying it. But obviously, it was picked up by the press and it became a massive yeah. thing. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah. So he he stepped back. But Jean Fred is now the the only uh, serious hottie left in in Portuguese male that is uh, in Portuguese left politics. Of course, we can comment on these uh, these straight cis men uh, and their uh, sexual attraction because well, that, 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 that is that is not reverse sexism. Oh, is it? In the next section of the podcast, hot or not, where we go through the Portuguese part. <laughs> I, I, I brought down the, the, the tone of the conversation, didn't I? I apologize. And now I can play. Oh, 
Now we're at my level. So yeah, so that's they 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 feel the three candidates and or the left and journalists feel the three candidates and of course um it ended up with with individually with relatively poor results. Um that said, I don't think that you know the useful vote kind of line would have made much of a difference together. Uh they would have still ended up second or Anagomes would have who would have probably been uh the the uniting candidate would have still ended up second. Shiga would still have had its vote and Marcella would have still have won. So I don't think I could, you know, for listeners who obviously won't be seeing this, we're having this conversation on Skype and I can mm. see Yulia nodding along. I'm <laughs> guessing it's because she just saw a picture of Jean yes, Ferreira. I did. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so I have been, my opinion has been seconded. I feel vindicated. Um, so I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. I am not, I am not a member of the communist party or in fact, any, any party in, in Portugal. So, uh, so, you know, I have no, interest in this line other than the fact that he's a very good looking chap uh mm. so yeah but but so this is where the left finds itself right now um at least in terms of you know presidential elections and when yep. it comes to the far right and anti-fascism uh i think it will have to do much better although much better at this particular point in time or at least within a presidential election kind of approach is not yet the sort of popular front kind of kind of vibe although and this is something that I argue in in the Jacobin article and mm. perhaps I'll after that shut up because that is basically the synthesis of the Jacobin <laughs> article I wrote just before the elections happened so just before the results had been announced um the problem here is the right has been able to trigger something about popular imagination a conservative reactionary popular imagination mm. but that exists right it has been able to promise people that if they live in utter misery it's because of migrants it's because yeah. of the travelers community whatever yeah. the other right and <laughs> and in that process then created also an idea of the good portuguese it's a it's a their own in their own words i'm translating you know who's the person the person of good you know who does mm. good works hard and doesn't get you know doesn't get state support and still has nothing and still has little to live on and still lives in a in house with poor conditions and freezes through through the, the winter and whatnot um and the left you know, and the future that they promise, which is always about, you know, sort of the, the future, is a future in which that will not no longer be the case for whoever votes for them, right? That's that's the exchange. Mm. You vote for us, a new, white, racist, middle-aged man, effectively, that is most of their, or, you know, mm -hmm. not necessarily middle-aged, actually, there's a few young, young uh, incels mm. in there as well. Um, uh, incel, for short, because obviously, I'm not necessarily saying they, they are incels, but if you see the kind of type... To stereotype yes. um, islands, yeah, <laughs> the vibe, uh, yeah. Oh God, bros, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they. You know, for you, if you vote for us, the world we're going to build a word for you. Um, fine. Is is the left really offering a world for whoever votes for them? Are they saying, look, for you who vote for us, we're going to offer a world of plenty. We're going to build a word, a world of plenty. And I don't feel that that has either been actually offered or otherwise when it has been offered, it has not been offered in with genuine belief in, mm -hmm. in the offering. Mm -hmm. um, and that perhaps is a crisis of confidence. I suspect it's a bit more complex than that. Um, but it, that is ultimately what the left in Portugal and 
I suspect knowing the British uh, situation well and the bit of the German situation as well to bring up a few examples and I suspect in, in America as well although in America things seem to be already a little bit on that on that side of things at least in the last in the in the first few weeks of, of the new administration hmm. that you know it needs to offer something beyond just you know a few social policies it needs to offer a better world, a better future, an image, a meta images, if you want to like go into that kind of, 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 of word la or language. Um, it needs to trigger people's imagination and people's hope. It needs to politicize people, not just by politics, but by something else, you know, grabbing them mm, by their right. imagination, by their yeah. hopes, by whatever it might be. And, and the only times we've seen that in in unfortunately in Portugal we haven't quite seen them at, at all. But the only few times we've seen that in uh, the northern hemisphere over the last uh, few years have obviously been the the Bernie Sanders and the, the Jeremy Corbyn um, uh, movements or whatever the the sort of phenomenon yeah. phenomena that yeah. they've that they've uh, created, which for a split second in time made people really go oh my god a better future is possible it's a massive yeah. trope but it's something that really mobilizes people and the right has got that the right mm -hmm. has people say a better world for them in their conception of a better world is possible the left and their supporters unfortunately certainly in portugal have not Julia? yeah because a lot of the times unfortunately especially by uh, like the center or like you know normal liberalism it is demonized as something that uh, as like something po something populist. It is demonized as like populism to promise something mm. that goes beyond, I don't know, a few social mm. uh, issues. Yeah, and a lot of the times, like in Poland, the social like social questions are actually then grabbed by or like are um, shit. I, I forgot the English word. <laughs> um, yeah, or well, I uh, like. Well, hijacked, absorbed, yeah, hijacked, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absorbed yeah. by uh, far right parties. Yeah, I think that this is it's really interesting too, just as a general because I think that we've even had this as an episode before, if I'm not mistaken, because I know that I've talked with Rob about this on multiple occasions. Is that exactly in the sense that like the left's imagination is like kind of non existent, I would say, throughout the entire Western hemisphere, of that there's like it's continuously like the sense of Germany is that the left being active in the left in Germany. And I'm assuming in a lot of other European countries is in the sense of like, you do activism and then you do this and you're like in like involved in, you know, these things, but it doesn't, it, it is a horribly pessimistic. Like, it's like, this is what's ever, like horrible right now, but there's no like cohesive alternative that then's really offered for even like social problems from, the left overwhelmingly like okay you have things like the current um appropriation uh 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 possibility from uh, uh where uh they want to like take houses from uh deutsche Wohnen, like the deutsche Wohnen and eignen thing for our listeners in germany you know, know what that is um that doesn't offer like a future though it literally is just saying that then that this will help make you know things more like housing more affordable but it's not then tackling it along along with well how do we ensure that then everyone in germany has a place to live like no one like that that conversation is never on the tip of people's tongues um especially with like you know refugee activism and stuff like that in germany is horribly pessimistic because yes it is horrible but then like there's never a proactive sense of like what would then the world look like like what's a world that then we can offer beyond that 
And it really sucks because the right knows how to weaponize that because they can look at then the perspectives throughout history of like, remember this time? Remember this period? We want this again. And the left doesn't really actually kind of have that because I can't think of a time where the left was doing great in Europe. 1917, <laughs> comrades, 1917. Yeah, but that's lame. Like, but it's just like, it's just cosplaying and like, yes, yeah, I will, sure, I will, sure. I will have the, like, I will. But that was also a time where you took this, like, as I always like call it, uh, political opportunity structure. Um, and actually after the after the first world war and took you know took the yeah but the took left the had, a, had imagination at that point because yeah, exactly. the whole point of the soviet union was that then imagine the world that then's yeah, you know yeah. i mean well. you know the discussion to be had of what happened is of course a you know thing but there was still there was <laughs> not still all dreams end up in beautiful reality <laughs> yeah but yeah. still but nonetheless I mean, but they, it's like and, and they these did old but they did have like they had a, a years of 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 the intellectual work before i mean like okay yeah you know like i'm just thinking of how you know the narodniks uh massively inspired mm. uh, uh lenin for instance but let's yeah. not even go yeah. there yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, let's not talk about like you know, uh, uh, 20th century uh, russia um <laughs> or even 19th century russia um i mean there is w one element of it is the mm. fact that we live under neoliberalism, which is an incredibly atomized, you know, hegemonically uh, uh, atomizing uh, uh, mentality and, and, and system, uh, economic system, um, which, which leads me, and we can, we can uh, mm. debate this, this element for, further, but leads me to what I was thinking about, you know, like, okay, we pledge a few social policies, a few reforms, but that is, is not linked to a future. The problem is that very often with the left, we, unfortunately, we ourselves and then whoever supports the left as in average voters, disassociate these policies from actually own sovereignty, own say, right? Own suffrage. Um, so, Just because you got uh, now the possibility of housing, it doesn't mean that you created access to housing directly. Yeah. And the only times in which we've seen these uh, fights, these individual campaigns come alive is when people feel like they're really in control of uh, the campaign, the rhetoric, whatever it might be. The anti-war uh, movement of the early 2000s uh, is an example for, you know, how Occupy for a split second connected actual action in which people felt like what was the changes that were happening in terms of how the way we were talking about the banking crisis, it suddenly wasn't just, oh my God, we got to save the banks to, no, excuse me, The 1% fucked it up. The 99% is not going to pay for it. That was what Occupy did. It was no nothing else. It just was able to reshape the way in which we're talking about um, a, a crisis of capitalism. Uh, and people felt that they had done it themselves because they were on the street, right? It's when you disassociate the demands you're making with the actions you're, you're doing yourself, um, i.e. you're not really genuinely partaking in the creation of these new policies and the creation of this future. You're not giving you know, independence, strength, power, ultimately, mm. that the policies are important, but ultimately can't really offer much. And you, and you just really dissolution and depress people, I, I suspect. I mean, that's, you know, I, again, I suspect I'm oversimplifying. Um, <laughs> but, in, but in particular, in a society that lives under this idea of the self, creating policies in which the self does not feel valued, mm -hmm. <laughs> as much as I say this with my nose held, <laughs> will never work. And that's, you know, and, and it's, it's not, it's not a, a coincidence, therefore, that the so-called identity politics do well 
under yeah. under under neoliberalism, right? For all the good, very valid points that identity politics bring to the table, they mm. also work well because they talk about the connection between the individual and the collective. And if also, the left cannot do that, yeah. it's lost. Sorry, it's like, it's, it's, oh, the right but, can do it though. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the, the problem. Che, yeah. Che is, as you were saying, is doing identity politics for yep. male, rural, they, petty bourgeois. They put it in, yep. Sorry. I was just going to say, they put it, like, the, the far right puts it in their own name, particularly with the youth movements. They're called fucking identitarians. It's yeah. in the name. <laughs> exactly. You know? They, they offer you an identity that is also, like, most of the times, like, based on a na national narrative, kind of, you know, because that yeah. is what right-wing politics do. Um And instead of like looking horizontal or like or looking like looking at the problem that is actually causing I don't know your misery, <laughs> I'm just saying like misery yeah. now oversimplified, but um, you get a new you know narrative, and this is the national identity or this is the identity in right wing politics. Yeah, it's really this interesting is, too with works. the sense <laughs> of seeing how yeah I mean the thing I th I think is one of the the most interesting ones is you know I hate to bring it back to Germany but looking at the 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 youth movement of the 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 AFD is <laughs> really really no they're actually really good about like recognizing um, you need to stop being shit at Twitter I they're horrible at Twitter <laughs> but I mean like in all seriousness they have a very good synthesis of. But maybe they're good at TikTok. You know? Maybe they are good at TikTok. But they're they're weirdly like this older ver I mean, like they are on the older scale of the far right where they're anti capitalist, but just like the bad form of it. And mm. but they have a better like they they weirdly have a good understanding. <laughs> the bad form of anti capitalism, Nazism. Not yeah. I can't I can't legally say it in this country. So yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I can't since you I am. For legal yeah. reasons, Joanna is in London. We should have <laughs> <Yeah>. to say <laughs> that. But, you know, they do this this old, you know, like the AFD's youth movement is really good at then providing both, like an anti-capitalist alternative to it that then's hinging on a identitarian right-wing view of the world that then I'm very glad that this is not, you know, the AFD is not smarter and they're not using this as their, you know, party platform because they're actually very like free market capitalist and they wouldn't mm. want to do this stuff. But it is very interesting to see how their youth movement, who maybe it's because youth movements are just like more radical a lot yeah, of the time than radical, the politics. Yeah. The based version <laughs> of the party. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it is like, it is there and it is quite powerful i would say that if, if a major party in germany or maybe not germany but a major party that then like you saw this with like, with like the trump movement that the trump movement's version of populism ended up ending like having economic populism on top of that with just like the nationalism like i trump did not fucking care about like traditional like neoconservative economic ideals he just wanted people to mm. like him at the end of the day which is economic <laughs> populism for him you know mm. and how you have a lot of these like trump-ish people um uh uh like you know tucker carlson just kind of just being like a strasserite you know like they understand that there's this that there's this this un like that there's the national question not in the stalinist sense but in like the right-wing version that can be very, like, can, can mobilize a lot of people depending on, you know, where they are. And I would say that then, like, at least in the U.S., I would, you know, probably say that the that version of politics will probably be, like, weirdly reawakened by uh, this post-Trump world that we're seeing because they're not going anywhere. They still love Trump, and they're, like, they're not the neocons of yesteryear. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. 
but Rob had his uh, hand up. I would, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want to jump in to maybe clarify some of these points. I mean, on the off day point, I think that they just have a sandbox to play in. Like, if they're actually <laughs> anti capitalists, then they're not leaving the youth wing of the party. Um, but I think that maybe what we're getting at is something that you talk a lot about in your articles, Joanna, which is um, the revolutionary legacy, or like, mm. you know, what yeah. does it mean to have a revolutionary political culture? Mm. And um, if I, you know, understand your point, it's that the left kind of has given up on, I mean, we've said a lot of words like imagination and future. Mm. And uh, there was even a reference to 1917. In like the Marxist tradition, this is formalized as like a revolutionary process, right? Which is like a mass politicization and, uh, you know, a, a truly uh, democratic agency for the people that was not possible under capitalism. Now, it seems to me that while at the same time that the the left doesn't, I don't know, I, I want you to clarify, but it seems to sure. me that the left is sort of not taught, it's not really a revolutionary legacy. I mean, as neoliberalism increases um, and austerity is, you know, longer and longer, the, the, the way things are done in Portugal, uh, you, maybe you could talk a little bit about the, uh, you mentioned the petty bourgeois boomers squeezed by big capital who are in yeah. the, in Chega, but it seems to me not that they're turning towards uh, the revolutionary Portugal, but like Ventura, you mentioned in one of your articles that he talks about the fact that they need a fourth uh, republic, yes. which of course would be returning. It would, the the Estado Novo is technically the second republic, as I understand. Indeed, yes. uh, so even that, it's not, it's not like. Uh, I mean, it's quite uh, explicitly going against the, the you know the results of the revolution. But even introducing that kind of like possibility that like we can make a new republic if we want. Mm-hmm. I know it's all you know, uh, it's it's mostly just like, like like we've talked about propaganda bullshit saying incendiary things. But I think what what the point you all are getting at is that he's introducing the idea of possibility and change, which has kind of been given up on. Uh, by other wings of uh, left politics. Okay, that's a lot of questions in one. Um, but I'll start, <laughs> Sorry. I'll start with, no, no, by all means. I mean, they are connected, so it makes sense. Um, I'll start with the, with the revolutionary legacy. I, and I'll start with, with the personal anecdote, I guess. Um, two years ago, around this time, so it was in, uh, which, which, you know, again, gives you a sign of things that were, things to come. Um, the, a f- former skinhead um, and one of the people I was uh, referring to earlier as criminals who have track record of having, mm. you know, been uh, in 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 fascist gangs and having uh, been part of violence against people. And he was present when a, a black kid was killed in in Bajualto in Lisbon in in the nineties. Um, mm. Bajualto is like the, the Soho the. Uh, um, I don't know what the Berlin Kurfürstendamm, uh, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember what's what's the new party area in Berlin now. I haven't been to Berlin in a couple of years, so this tells you something. There uh, is none. We're in Corona. There well, yeah, no we're in Corona. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> remember the times before we, when we could assemble and party. Anyway, um, there was a kid who was killed. Uh, a black kid, obviously, who was who was killed by a, a, a fascist thug group. Um, and this man was was there. was was a witness, if not a participant. But obviously, that is only allegedly. So, yeah. um, but he was um, certainly 
uh, proved as as a witness of it. And he was a fascist. He has plenty of swastikas, swastika tattoos on his body. And he was invited to go on a morning show <laughs> to talk yeah. about his new. This is post coming out of prison, right? For you know, violent and 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 uh, uh, corrupt uh, crimes that he had since committed. Um, he launched a far right party like not even party sorry it was a, a, a fascist group an identitarian group which no longer exists by the way uh what a and, morning show that would have been i'm sorry monday morning portugal <laughs> and it's because literally yeah because literally what he was saying is like we need to you know recover the image of salazar the the dictator and Oliver Salazar, the dictator um of portugal for for over 30 years um and and obviously that was like, you know, come come to this morning show to talk about us why you think that the dictator should be, you know, like yeah. by the way, as if as if the image of Salazar had been so tarnished. Like it's not as if Salazar is Mussolini in, in Italy, although obviously even even Mussolini now has been pretty much recovered, but yes. uh, the image of him. But uh, but you know, it's not even as if when you mention the name, e- you equal it immediately with 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 you know with fascism, with murder, with genocide. Like Salazar, a few a few years back, like maybe ten years ago, there was a program on TV to elect the most the greatest Portuguese of all time. Salazar won. You know, like it's wow. not even what? as if, wow. yeah, I know. Yeah. This so it's seems not even a... as if he's seen as this sort of like, you know, uh, completely dividing figure. Mm. He should be. Unfortunately, he's not. Yeah. Um, so this seems very reminiscent of uh, Franco in Spain. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Although I, I even think that even there, the reactions because of the civil war in great part and because mm. of the uh, anarchist and uh, 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 socialist legacy, uh, and its involvement uh, and radicalization in that struggle was such, and there's still like massive scars going through Spanish society because of that. Um, mm. You know, like even even Franco, I think, is still perceived worsely worse than 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 Salazar is at times. Okay. Uh, but but maybe I'm being biased here, to be honest. I you know hand to heart, maybe I'm being biased. But in any case, um, so he came on TV to say that, and I saw it first thing in the morning i saw this is a january morning uh two years ago i saw it i was outraged and like i haven't had my coffee yet and there's a fash <laughs> on tv and and uh and i literally started tweeting in english um about it and mm. it went viral it just i it, it, all of a sudden it was a little thing and i that was the first time that i talked about this question of of legacy of revolutionary legacy and what i said was like it is unacceptable and i say it again and and i think now it's a bit more now it sounds inane because of how normalized far-right politics on tv have become since shiga's rise uh in power but nonetheless so this is the beginning of 2019 by the end of 2019 we have an mp a shiga mp in in parliament um uh, a lawmaker who is andrea ventura um but in the beginning, I said, you know, it's unacceptable to have a fascist on TV. This man was, was you know, gone has gone to prison for his crimes. He's not coming on TV to redeem himself, apologize, make some sort of contribution to society. Instead, he's just, you know, trying to regenerate his own image. You could see it from, like, you know, he was wearing a shirt with long sleeves so that none of his fucking tattoos would, would show up <laughs> and all of that. And he was being treated as some sort of normal member of society, which he's not. Um, and And fascism will not exist if we don't let it 
exist. You know, if you don't give it a platform, you don't fucking platform fascists. It's a very basic ground rule. And in Portugal, until relatively recently, despite the apologisms made for Estado Novo, the 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 third republic, the sorry, the second republic, the mm -hmm. the dictatorship. Um, New state, it's the English, yeah. literal English translation for the dictatorship in Portugal. Um, despite uh, the many apologisms done for it to this day, fascism, real, you know, like nationalsocialism type of fascism, right, which was illegal in Portugal during the dictatorship technically, was was still understood as a no-no on daytime TV. So it is, and certainly since 1974, of course, since the revolution. So... It's all the more unacceptable that our level of, of amnesia has come to a point in which he goes on a talk show, a morning talk show presented by a gay man. So, you know, like all in all, just the, the level of, 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 I don't know, peripathetic nonsense. I don't, I don't even know how to like, I just, I'm getting like annoyed just thinking about it. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, you, we really have to rethink the struggles that, our not so long ago forefathers you know i'm talking about two generations one generation ago right like the parents of friends of mine people in their 30s millennials their parents were anti-fascist activist resistance uh, uh refugees abroad or, or exiled abroad um political prisoners you name it you know mm. so it's not so distant history that we've forgotten it to the point that an avowed fascist is presenting his fascist project on daytime TV in a in in a the fourth that the same channel that um, that Marcel Rebelsoza used to comment uh, on the evening news. I think it was on TV um, on on a, on a on a private but nonetheless big. A channel on TV is is absolutely abhorrent, and since then, unfortunately, um, it it has it has only become worse. Uh, and the reason for that, as far as like organized politics is concerned, i.e., why hasn't the left really tapped onto this, is because it's considered gauche. That's as simple as that. Portugal yeah. has such a radical left history that if you tap into it, it's considered passé. Okay. To the point of its own detriment. Like, I mean, that's the only explanation I can find. Or if you think about it in terms of the more uh, uh, center-left, um, which, you know, like a lot of the founders of the Socialist Party, the Labour Party in Portugal, were anti-fascist or anti-regime uh, activists. You know, I, it, would be, it would be unfair to them to say otherwise. Except that since then, their party has been a fucking neoliberal machine of, of, of jobs for the boys that has only been identified as such. Uh, until relatively recently, there's been a, a mild reform of it pushing to the left. But even that has been, has been you know, very sort of uh, uh, um, decorative. Um, so so that is that is the only way I can I can explain why even for uh, the communist party which obviously is the oldest party in Portugal still still active um mm. there has been a, a sort of almost I, I don't know like I don't know if it's resistance I don't know if it's apathy to recuperate or or bring back the legacy of 74 and of of the period before that in which um you know people really 
suffered horrors and fought very courageous battles. Um, and on top of that, I should add, because I don't think, I think in Portugal very often the left is unfortunately still extremely white. Um, I think that it mm. should bring along it the struggles of those who during the dictatorship were not seen in mainstream continental Portugal, but who were doing uh, resistance struggles against the, against the dictatorship. And that's obviously the uh, struggles of, of the in independence struggles of the, mm -hmm. the then colonial country or colonies, sorry, um, yeah. in, in, in particularly in Africa, uh, of which a lot of its, a lot of its uh, activists, fighters, uh, or the, their children and grandchildren are now often living in Portugal um, to bring them along as part of the rhetoric of, of anti-fascism, I think is fundamental because themselves or their grandfather's parents have suffered horrors under Portuguese dictatorship that we might or might not want to call fascism itself, but it nonetheless uh, was very proto-fascistic in, in the way it operated. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, that's a uh, lead to Sorry, something. I didn't talk about, like, the, oh. the, the liberal yeah, yeah, aspect of it. Yeah, I want to talk it, about but, that, but But, we, but, but I was hoping point, you yeah. guys would, like, contribute, so I just know some sort of, like, <laughs> soliloquy from my, from my part, in which I get just incredibly annoyed at how, at how you know, sort of, I, I... My dad is a historian, and I get very upset by collective uh, oblivion or collective amnesia uh, mm. of one's history um it has been massively drilled into my head uh, i guess from from a young age so perhaps for that reason i get very upset and then the worst was that fucking guy whose name i'm not going to mention just because like you know i don't want to give him more air and i don't want people to google him but that mm. guy i tweeted so much about him that then came on to me on twitter i am not kidding you oh, the wow. fash said and i quote <laughs> well i'd I'll fuck you. So, you know, oh, like... What? Oh, my God. Mm. Classic so, line. You know, oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, anyway, good to know that uh, that good Portuguese Aryanism would count me in if necessary. You know, it's <laughs> always... always oh, yeah, this yeah. is... This so nice is, uh, you're still included. Life, life made. Yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. This is the... Uh, this is my plan for the future of this country when Baden-Württemberg creates the new form of German fascism and I get to prove that I'm from the Black Forest, technically. <laughs> um, well, we're all counting on that. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, but we ended up back at fascism in dicks, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Um, it always comes back to that. Welcome to the podcast. Um, there is something but you I, could... I, Yeah, sorry. Don't, don't forget, if, if yeah. in 20 minutes we're not talking about uh, liberalism and, and how, you know, the sort of, how that is connected to the petty bourgeois boomers and so on uh, uh, remind me because I do want to talk about that because that's the other element that is growing in Portugal is this sort of like hyped up uh, uh, capitalist uh, entrepreneurial initiatives um, in, in the form of politics mm -hmm. that is I mean the, the just purely capitalist thing has been going around for a while but um, but yeah that is the other element pushing the right like taking sucking yeah. the um, votes out of the traditional right in Portugal um, let, let's come back to that, but I want to ask you quickly about um, Black Lives Matter in Portugal because you've mm. written about it, mm. and I feel like, from a, again from my outsider perspective, I think a lot of people like if you look at the Portuguese Revolution, it's like you know like years, decade plus of anti-colonial struggle, like culminated in independence and like a revolution in Portugal, mm. and Black Lives Matter is, um, I mean, I can imagine not having lived in Portugal, but I can imagine when they talk about uh, the structural racism of, of the Portuguese society. Um, yeah. And, and all the examples that are, that are given, like, of course, resonate with uh, many other cases. But then 
what like how does that square this this revolution that was like born out of an anti-colonial struggle producing the state that uh portugal is today um and not to make you more upset but i did read about the case of bruno Conde, and just for those who for who don't know um he was uh a black man in lisbon who was uh, murdered by a veteran of the colonial wars he had been like harassed Ooh. apparently by this guy multiple times and threatened and yeah he said multiple times uh or he said the man um who who murdered him said yeah i did this in in the i forget the word exactly but i did this uh, before kind of thing right and so what what is this what's going on here <laughs> what does this have to do with revolutionary legacy and how how can this be overcome yeah, because just for our listeners, like the the Portugal is kind of like one of those oft forgotten about colonial powers. I mean, I think most people remember Brazil, but probably forget about you know uh, Angola and things like that. So there is like a history there. He also um, just had the single. He had a gun, which was illegal, and this is it still an open question how he had it. Like, so I heard that it was uh, perhaps missing from a. Like it, it would have been a gun that would be like at an army base, um, I, and it wasn't registered to him. I must admit that that part of the story I, I haven't followed, so I have no idea what what they found mm. out about the gun. If if he if he had it still from from the colonial war and, and had kept it without surrendering it, or whether it was procured uh, in more recent times. I mean, Brunkande. So yeah, he was he was shot. Uh, at close range by by this uh, uh, racist and and he was an actor as well, um, or he was he was an actor, but um, and he had been harassed for a while. What well, I mean, do you want me to ask you how it squares that a country that was incredibly racist still has racists in it, <laughs> uh, or or I mean, interestingly, by the way, the neighborhood where uh, Brunkande lived and, and was murdered um, is Lourdes. Lourdes is the place where André Ventura was elected councillor. So, you know, you can square here uh, some stories around how the suburbs of highly metropolitan areas, i.e. where the petty bourgeoisie or work, white working class has to, has to <laughs> lives side by side with working class, you know, uh, uh, um, ethnic working classes, BAME, black and, and other um, ethnic minority working classes. Um, and so where therefore, uh, or unfortunately, not necessarily therefore, but where uh, racism as well as solidarity uh, thrives quite, quite rampantly and where populists, uh, uh, opportunists like Andre Ventura then take, a, take their chances and then become, become bigger. Um Portugal has a problem, I think I've already alluded to it in terms of the way in which Portuguese people see themselves as sort of, you know, the coitadinho is the word in, in Portuguese, it means like the poor, poor thing. Um, mm. As, you know, like, we're not the worst colonialists out there. You know? <laughs> Jesus. You know, Inquisition, well, well, we did it a little bit, but you know, anti-Semitism, we're not really anti-Semitic. And yeah. all of that, uh, which is obviously bullshit. Uh, <laughs> and, and the same applies to the way Portugal deals as, as, a, as a society uh, with its history. Um, Portuguese colonialism is to this day taught in schools as mild as uh, something that was uh, that happened uh, very 
peacefully and that mm. was resolved uh peacefully uh and that you know yes of course we had the colonial the colonial war um but which by the way is still very often called the uh overseas war ultramar is the word oh, in Jesus. portuguese uh by by obviously by older generations most of all but uh, nonetheless which i obviously anyone in the right mind would call the colonial war uh, or colonial mm. wars because it was in, in more than within one country um and so without dealing with its own history unlike germany and for me again from a personal point of view it was very interesting to be a portuguese person in a german school because you saw how the german system and curriculum dealt very and even with its own caveats by the way but nonetheless very frontally with with fascism with the second world war i mean three years of high school history classes are only dealing with this Zehnte, elfte und zwölfte Klasse, so 10th, 11th and 12th grade, are all about pre, during and after the Second World War. And that's all you talked about. And even in Portugal, in a school abroad, you're made to watch series of movies about concentration camps, about how the fascists like were horrible people, etc., etc., etc. Now, does it have its own uh, uh, problems and, and does it need to be bettered? Obviously, uh, it's not a revolutionary curriculum uh, mm. by any stretch of the imagination. But Portugal does not even do that. I then had Portuguese history classes side by side because as a Portuguese, uh, as schools abroad have to have some sort of complementary, German schools abroad have to have some complementary uh, classes from the country, the host country, as they call it. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, right. So nice. Oh, don't you love this kind of language? Right? It's like parasites. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, technically, the school is part of the diplomatic ground. So whenever uh, I enter the school, you're in Germany. So it is, <laughs> so it is a as as you do. As you uh, do. That's like saying um, the DDR still exists in that one Cuban island. <laughs> on the well, rock they were gifted. We hold we hold on to that dream, yes. you know. Like anyway. Um, but um, I mean, we could go into very interesting uh, uh, conversations about about German schools abroad, and and certainly after after reunification and and the sort of processes that went on. I mean, the teachers that we would get in, and and how different teachers from east and west would deal with things. But let's not go into that. That's for another episode. <laughs> yes, we'll um, be back for that. I think uh, just for like my my thirteen years in a German school, the trauma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but most of all, like I, you know, you then got to compare it, or I got to compare it with the way in which. Portuguese history is taught, which is nothing like it. Nothing. Like there is a complete negation of the trauma that was caused to both, obviously, Angolans, Mozambicans, uh, Guineans, you name it, mm. as well as to, you know, uh, white and black Portuguese people uh, throughout the whole colonial history. So what 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 happens when you again with these uh, um, absences or amnesia, collective his amnesia? is that reactionary opinions get to flourish in the narrative of like, it wasn't so bad. In fact, and something that happens very often in Portugal, is you say, during the dictatorship, we even had, and then you, you know, blank, you implement yeah, whatever yeah. you want to, to jot down as like things that are bad now. You know, trains ran on time, roads didn't have holes, <laughs> you name it. The, the um, common one in Spain is always the like kind of protectionist Spanish economy that existed under Franco of like, yeah. there were jobs, everyone had a job because we weren't as vulnerable to foreign capital as we are now. Yeah, like, yeah. and then the same, the same will be, will be for the very same reasons, will be uh, economic as well. It, in the time of the dictatorship, we'll say we'll say the same. Uh, very, you know, the same phenomenon happens in, in in Portugal as well. So you know, like 
I think, and again, like, I, I guess the left in that regard does do a bit better than on revive, like the left does better on the things that we need to address now in terms of our history than actually reviving our live history. How can I put this? Like the left is better in Portugal, at least at saying we should confront our colonial or you know the dictatorship and the horrors of 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 salazarismo of salazar's uh, uh rule rather than at the same time also saying and we also need to remember and and uh, use and enthuse uh through the legacy of the revolution both in both in terms of 1974 itself and and the incredible 18 months that followed which were profoundly societally shifting to the point that we're still living with the with the rights uh that were were fought for and won in that process you know like a time in which for 18 months there were uh local collectives that run neighborhoods collect workers collectives Ooh. that ran that ran uh a plants factories uh agricultural fields you name it mm -hmm. you know um there was this enormous again if we go back to the question of like the the, the disconnect between policy and own action for 18 months in portugal people felt that what they were doing literally doing on their day-to-day -day lives was building towards a society that they wanted to live in and had something to to contribute to and and could and had something to say that they were listened to you know it it is literally the anti-alienation uh of 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 of, of marx or of marx's conception of alienation it's it's literally the, the the work that that the antithesis to to the alienation we live under capitalism um and and in the left has not yet been able to fully accept on on some contextual occasions in Portugal, I'm now talking about Portugal, been able to to do that at this mm. present time. Um, yeah, I don't know how we link this now to, to the question of liberalism, because, I mean, it is connected in a sort of more uh, broader uh, theme. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, like, yes, I mean, the way in which it is connected to the petty bourgeois uh, or the boomers that, that I talk about is mm. that, again, these are very often people who feel, I mean... Boomers, as people who were born in the post-war period, which in Portugal was under the dictatorship, mm. um, will be people who lived through the dictatorship in either one of the two. They either did not like the revolution and therefore they were very happy to, you know, go back to a period pre-democratic constitution, uh, which is the proposal of, of, of André Ventura and Chega, or they otherwise did not like, they liked it at the time, but did not like the results of it. And the results of it are lo and behold neoliberalism yeah. and so the way of going about it is not <clears throat> neoliberalism is shit we should have gone further in 1974 their their solution is like you know what this is shit let's just go back to the time before 74 which is obviously ridiculous um there is that there are those and a lot of them did suffer certainly in in the last uh 10 years of austerity there's a lot of people in their you know 70s and 80s who had to go back to work um, mm. to support their families yeah. uh, and so on and so forth or who, who in the process of, of you know the, the process of neoliberal uh, rise in Portugal which um, 
it, you know, we, we also had our own Thatchers and, and Reagans in, in Portugal, Juan, Cavac uh, Silva in particular, who also suffered a lot through, you know, the, the beginning of privatization, um, particularly if you think that history at that point had been so short between revolution and, and, and the disintegration of, of uh, uh, the welfare state <laughs> or the re-disintegration of the welfare state. Um, it feels like, you know, we've just won this and now it's being taken away from us. So a lot of people felt very, understandably, very bitter about it. So they mm. see Shiga as, you know, like a protest vote, whatever you want to call it. Sure, um, yes. But there's also there's also younger people who and Shiga's program, by the way, in terms of uh, economic policy is incredibly capitalist, neoliberal, you know, like if yeah. they were true fascists, they would want some sort of, you know, industrial feudalism, which they don't. Uh, Andre Ventura was a, a lawyer uh, that worked in a company that helped companies evade tax it was a tax avoidance <laughs> company that he that he worked for as a lawyer yes. before so you know like he is even though his line obviously as 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 trump's line is as well was as well and and many others was an anti-corruption you know no more jobs for the boys kind of thing and then obviously he represents that very uh demographic of uh, that that has thrived under under jobs for the boys under corruption that makes money out of it um so it has been, you know, uh, and he, I'm sure, although he hasn't come to that point yet, but I'm sure that he could have one day say, much like Trump did, like, believe me, I know what I'm talking about when I talk about corruption because I did it many times. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like, or I help people do it many times. He hasn't yet gone come to that point, but, but he'll be he praised might, for knows. being honest if he does that, probably by fawning press. <laughs> I mean, in Portugal, I don't think there's the same level of earnestness that Americans do to, you know, appreciate, at least he tells it like it is. Right. I don't know. But who knows? Like, you know, I'm not the kind of person who says, as as Rob was uh, uh, highlighting earlier, I would never say things like it would not happen here. Um, <laughs> because that's not how history works. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hate cultural uh, uh, relativism. So, uh, so yeah. Um, and then the other the other side of this, by the way, the, the, the people who want this kind of uh, neoliberal capitalist, uh, a savage approach to 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 economic policy, but who don't agree with the anti-democratic element of it, and who might not be particularly Catholic, for instance. Which obviously, uh, 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 I mean, Andre Ventura says he was chosen by God to be on this path. So you know, like, oh, cool. Oh yeah, I'm listening oh, yeah. now. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so all of a sudden, Nick wakes up. This is a strong what? Catholic podcast. Strong Catholic. Yeah, I, I heard Catholicism. What ears perk up? Yeah. What? What's up? He sounds like a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, he he is he is your man, Nick. If you want, you know, yeah. all you need to say is like, I mean, don't even get him started on his opinion on women. He said he prefers oh. them very beautiful. Oh, uh, oh, so, oh, so he's, it's, it's Catholicism, <laughs> and you know, you know, being like uh, 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 Berlusconi. Count me in. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's like the Catholic. More like in the Trump space because he, uh, he Catholic Trump, I mean, Catholic Trump, Catholic Trump. F- funnily, funnily enough, funnily enough, like unlike Berlusconi and Trump, uh, Ventura is not a fan of the tanning salon. But who knows? He might he might reinvent his image at some point. I mean, obviously in Portugal, but then yeah, Berlusconi lives in Italy. He doesn't need it anyway. Yeah. Let's, no, let's, north, I'm north of Italy, it. north of Italy. He needs he needs to tan. Uh, yeah, that is yeah. true. That is true. Yeah, he's replaced yeah. all his skin with plastic at this point, Berlusconi. Yeah, so like, 
like yeah, it's a paint it, job more than anything. In any case, just just to 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 those listeners who are interested, since we're talking <laughs> about this, Shiga does have the support of the evangelical churches in in Portugal as well. Even though the leader uh, has like a strong Catholic, uh, you know, stance to himself, or mm-hmm. like he being you know, sort of like links to it. Like on the day of the elections, before the results were announced, and journalists are all over, like you know, Mr. Ventura, what do you think? What do you think? And he was like, you know, what did you spend the day doing? He's like, I prayed. I prayed. <laughs> okay you fucking weirdo Suck um, up. <laughs> uh, for, yeah like more than weirdo it's like actually if it was true i would at least have some th- sympathy but you're just lying uh blatantly but anyway um but yeah he does have the support of the evangelicals but anyway like the, what i was what i was trying to get into is the the party called uh liberal initiative initiativa liberal il um which has again this is really interesting because what it shows really is the crisis that the traditional center and far right in Portugal, democratic right, as they like to call it, mm. is in. Um, it's weird when you can no longer say far right for normal parties because yeah. the far right is now actually far right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that feels fucking weird, but there you go. Um, but yeah, they, they, they have been, they launched around the same time as, as uh, Shagam. And they've been able to to do some strides, and on they also had a, ran a candidate in the election, which ended second to last, but um, but then the last was able to to like grow his his um, uh, percentage of vote uh, much higher than originally planned. Mm. And interestingly enough, Iniciativa Liberal is led by someone who's the father of kids I went to school with um, and ha- went to school himself to the same school my we went to um, yep. and my, my mom was I think a year younger than him or something like that small and country as, vibes yep. as far as far as I know he was a, a cunt then and he's a cunt now so <laughs> Uh, makes sense at least he's you know like that's the line like at least he's straight you know continued being the students his own self you know he's like a cunt but he's like uh uh coherent um but yeah they they've been pushing that line literally that line of like yeah i do like the c word by the way um i think i think i you know to call him anything other than that um is not strong enough in the english language unfortunately um but yeah uh, you can beep it if you want later in the year no no you're you're there's only one word that i have to beep out on this show and it's 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 nazi it's the german n-word so (laughs) yeah there you go and that's for legal for legal yeah yeah yeah. i don't want to get a fucking libel suit from when we talk about yeah, you know, but yeah, you know who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, Germany's but yeah. Voldemort, if you will. Let me write a really bad article about this now. Oh, please, no, <laughs> Harry Potter, please. Jesus, and FTP is the Hufflepuffs. <laughs> Read another book. Um, I mean, like, see, see what I mean by lack of imagination. This is yep. the generation we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just go and read any, like, sure, read Harry Potter, but read other books. Be able to escape the hipster pastiche that you live in, for goodness sake. Anyway, like, you're gonna no, get I'm ma- gonna make another Spider-Man again. Movie, it's fine. <laughs> I'm only gonna read one book, and uh, that's Infinite Jest because I'm cool. <laughs> Infinite Jest is for fuck boys. I've said this yes. before. <laughs> That's a fact. Well, as long <laughs> as it's not like Atlas Shrugged or, you know, or 1984, fucking like brain all of a sudden, uh, you know, like I think I think we're good. Um, but, or obviously Harry Potter. But uh, but yeah, like I think I think that what's happening in Portugal um, is that the far right and funnily enough, also the sort of more uh, uh, neoliberal um sort of you know uh 
actually speaking of Atlas Shrugged, like, yeah, like full on um, capitalist. Uh, Nerds. No more, no, no more nanny state kind of uh, vibes um, right. are growing out of uh, an, uh, a crisis within the traditional right. Um, which you know, when it comes to the Iniciativa Liberal, I mean, it's it's annoying and it's it's disgusting, but it's not concerning. Whilst obviously, mm. when it is the far right um, making massive strides, it becomes very, very concerning and disconcerting. Um, but but they all part of like just to sort of try and answer Rob's uh, complex question. They all part of the same phenomenon, which you see everywhere else, which is uh, a, a disintegration of the offerings of of neoliberalism to particularly a certain ta- a certain uh, strata of the middle class, um, and their disillusionment with politics, then resulting in radicalization, particularly to the right. If you're white and to a certain and have a certain amount of privilege. Um, uh, that you would never acknowledge, um, and to the left, uh, if if you're not, uh, I mean, this is as is, again an oversimplification, and you do see that. And when you again, when you see Black Lives Matter in Portugal, um, their their biggest. I don't want to call it obstacle because that's not the correct word, but it's also only the only one I can find at this point mm. is the fact that there is still such a. Um, a disconnect, not to say apartheid, because <laughs> that might be a bit harsh, um, between uh, mainstream political expressions in Portugal. So it's very mm-hmm. divided. And in, in general, in society, there is still a massive division. Um, perhaps our generation is the first word that is less so, um, but certainly uh, before before us, anyone born uh, before 19, um, maybe even 85, will have lived great parts of their life in in a in a society where there is like effectively ghettos there's neighborhoods where black people live and neighborhoods where white people live white working class black working Mm. class um and where therefore their political expressions and the struggles that they fight end up being fought separately there are obviously exceptions to this i wouldn't say that this is the 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 norm or or always the case but it tends to be what has prevailed. And with Black Lives Matter, it, because of the internationalism of it, I think in a great part, there is some sort of white allyship that is being seen. I think the judge is still out on whether that is possible to continue beyond um, just the struggle for black, right, black lives and black rights. Mm. Um, yeah. Hopefully it will. Uh, hopefully we'll even continue within the struggle of black rights. Um, but for the time being, it, it doesn't go much beyond that. Racism, yeah. by the way, I mean, Port- talk about negationism, like Portugal is massively on like, we're not racist. That, now that is definitely a thing. The It won't mm. happen here. Maybe some areas of Portugal people will say that, others will not, like other parts of society will not. Even on the left, there are people saying that we're not really racist. I mean, we're a bit yeah, racist, yeah, yeah. but not really that racist. When obviously, it's, yeah. you know. well, that, that's 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 Ireland a little bit as well. As long as we have the um, bigger, more overtly racist neighbor that everyone's paying attention to, we can claim that we're not racist. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's yeah. always a fun one. Racism um, only happens, say... you know. Racism only happens when Bruno Kande is murdered. That's that's racism. Mm. Racism in terms of like you never see a black person in on TV, and when you do, it's like, whoa, amazing! I mean, that is fucking yeah. Like, yeah. systemic racism. Yeah, but you know, I can't say anything you said is uh, surprising or unfamiliar no. <laughs> to no. my um, 
understanding. But the reason, just to explain uh, where I was coming from, is like we've had a little bit of discussion. Well, even we've talked about it on the show, but there's been, especially with the, I don't know, the, an increasing globalization of Black Lives Matter or this, um, you know, as it's moved, especially to Europe, we've talked about how it's linked up with, you know, ongoing struggles for you know, anti-racist struggles in France, in Germany, for example. But there's, there's like two narratives, I would say. One, there's like a general narrative of like, ah, oh, this is like this American import, you know, this like, look at these signs in English or something, you know, I don't know all that stuff. And there's a second one that's maybe not as explicit, but I think we would all recognize it's, it's comes and goes and it would be very, you know, explicit if you know, pushed, which is certain kind of like white chauvinist left, which is, well... You know, I would love to care about this, but it's alienating. It's, you know, divisive or something like that. And mm. the reason I find the Portuguese case very interesting, again, not knowing much about the, the local conditions, is that like Black Lives Matter and an anti-racist struggle is like one of the purest like ongoing legacies or like if, if you like want to return to like the revolutionary legacy of Portugal, like anti-racist struggle is like a core bedrock, you know, with a holistic view of the, you know, of the events that precipitated it and that immediately came out of it. So like, it's like, this is like, yeah, okay, we have to fight neoliberalism, but not this way because it's like too divisive or something. But like your answers are one and the same, like mm -hmm. returning to this yeah. revolutionary culture is this anti-racist legacy. Mm -hmm. It's not like, a, you know, this American import. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's your history. And yet somehow this is like, I mean, it's not surprising that this isn't like, you know, the dynamic, but it just seems like so clear that like, they, you the know, first, the, it, the the first yeah, time that three women, three black women, were elected to Portuguese parliament was last year. Uh, sorry, 2019. So the last elections in October 2019. Mm. They all came from uh, left wing parties. No surprise to that. I'm going to say something that is controversial um, as a leftist and a Portuguese leftist to that, but I feel that, and in one of those parties, I think a lot of people would agree because she was the only elected MP um, for that party. And she was, in Portugal, things go by lists. So you have yeah. one on the list and so on. Mm -hmm. um, for for, for, for uh, general elections, that is. Um, so it's not first past the post, it's the, the want uh, system. Um, and the, I think that, okay, for her, it was very obvious she was put on top of the list because she was a black, I mean, she's, I'm not saying she's a bad politician. I think she has her handicaps, but that said, uh, she she is, you know, with all due respect. But the reason why she's put top of the list on that particular party, of which she was only loosely associated with at that point, was because she's a black woman and they knew they could draw votes out of it. Um, again, with all due respect to the party. And I, I don't necessarily think that at times these things are bad. I, I, I think that it was it was too little too late, but at least it was being done. And I and unfortunately, and this is where I'm gonna be controversial, I definitely feel that the same happened, not as blatantly or not as, you know, uh painfully obvious, but nonetheless in, in the Socialist Party and in Left Bloc that elected the other two black women. It's that in twenty nineteen is the time in which black women are being put forward to parliament is is just it's a travesty you know as you say rob in particular when portugal had a history of anti-colonial struggle as part of its revolutionary history the problem is very often that within the left i suspect anti-racism is seen almost like a sort of parallel struggle much like in 74 is like anti-colonialism was one struggle anti 
dictatorship was another. Yes, so yes, they are connected, but somewhat there is many miles apart, those two, like, you know, literally geographically speaking. So, nah. I mean, again, I'm being super harsh. I, I know a lot of people who actually had both of these struggles, you know, deep in their hearts and fought very, very, very hard against against both these ills and who knew they were connected and built their, their politics on the fact that they're connected. But there's also people who don't seem to to have fully associated because it's easier to set them apart. Like, you know, we can win one, we can win the other, compartmentalize, done. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's still, I mean, it's it's changing slowly, but surely, but it's still very much there. Um, you know, truly radical would be if if, you know, there were... I don't know, like a black base for this this socialist parties that the 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 black communities in Portugal felt that they were genuinely part uh, of political discourse and not just you know in part uh, uh, represented by one or two or three MPs. Um, unfortunately, that is not the case because more often than not. Uh, they're very, very busy and probably very tired fighting the immediate survival uh, within their within their communities, be it from police violence, be it from economic violence. Um, and so to even think of being able to then transcend uh, that massive uh, barrier uh, is, is, is too hard. But I am a white middle class, upper middle class woman of Portugal. So, so you know, I, I wouldn't want to like... Um, take their voices but from the interviews i've done and when i wrote about black lives matter it seems very often that that is that is the issue and i you know i blame um ourselves as well in part for the left for not having done enough in our allyship to have lessened that burden uh, of survival so that our black comrades can join us in other struggles that don't have to do necessarily with survival uh, of their communities but have to do with you know making for a better world hmm Right. Well, uh, on that Sad note, note. <laughs> that's very bummer. No, yeah, because uh, we are we are approaching two hours here. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty. So we've kept you over time. We, we've kept you a bit here, and I, I'm with confidence. I can say that's all the information about Portugal. That's everything you need to know. <laughs> that's it. Nothing. No page was left unturned. Nope. We've I can done everything. Yep. I can name three Portuguese cities, maybe, and that's it. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I think. I think the one thing. I mean, to conclude on a happy note. Mm. I, there is that revolutionary legacy. Yeah, like, well, there is yeah. that revolutionary legacy. And it still lives, even if subconsciously, uh, in, in, our, in, in the very state infrastructures, in the, in, mm. the, in the constitution. The Portuguese constitution says right at the beginning mm. that First the line, aims yeah. of the Portuguese state are to build the path towards socialism. That's it's so still great. There, <laughs> socialism with them. Portuguese characteristics. I like this. <laughs> Well, you know, like a bit of sun and fun, you know, socialism, <laughs> sun and fun. What else do you want? Oh, that's um, the, yeah, that's the James Bond thing where the, that Pierce Bros. it's tomorrow never dies. He goes to every remaining communist country and it's all dark and depressing. But then he goes to Cuba. And it's like, Cuba, Whoa! yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's sun that's, and fun uh, communism. Basically, yeah, that, yeah, we, I, we are the Cuba of Europe, you know, did you know? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> People talk about like, oh, you need socialism, but you know, you should be able to have brunch and stuff, which I've never, I've never cared for brunch. I don't care. But socialism and there should be sun and fun now i can get on board current I affairs mean, should write for that me it's like <laughs> socialism and siesta but you know whatever like yeah i'll take that or in portuguese i shouldn't use the spanish word for this i should say siesta siesta the portuguese siesta. it's also it's also 
also a, a strong Portuguese tradition, unfortunately not as, as still as alive as in Spain, but I, I believe in strongly in socialism and naps, so <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, I'm a big but, believer but, but, in the nap, so yeah. <laughs> right, right. The, the, the Greek-American ear had to like come in to support, right? Like, we're all in this together, brother. Uh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we 100% condone the stereotype of slovenly Southern Europeans <laughs> on this podcast. I am in support of just co-opting it. You know, but, <laughs> we're but, um, yeah, you guys anyway, can like, have it too. You guys are more than welcome to take a midday nap. Nothing's exactly. stopping you. Germans you know? don't sleep. Yeah, you know? exactly. No. You know, God only... is watching. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is such a like, you're taking the Lutheran approach here, speaking of Catholicism. Like, anyway, <laughs> let's not go there. All I wanted to say is that there is there is like a, a silver lining for the Portuguese case. I, you know, I'm not going to speak about the rest of Europe or the United States at this point, but just on the Portuguese uh, example, hmm. there is there is hope there and there is a, a, a historical and historic legacy and and there is something that can be done about it. Um, and, and there's still a bit of me and I'm very hopeful uh, about that, unlike the UK where I actually live, uh, <laughs> where I'm not very hopeful at all. But, but in Portugal, I'm still very, very hopeful about the capacity of the left and of civil society at large, by the way, not just necessarily within the left, the democratic civil society to uh, uh, push back. But it is something that has to be done. It's not something that can be only wished upon. So the reason why I write and the reason why I come on podcasts and do my own podcasts and so on, um, and certainly will will do a lot more of uh, from henceforth uh, on this on this particular subject. Um, watch this space. I'm already <laughs> plugging uh, future projects here. We'll get to that. Um, yeah, is is because. We, we need to get our, our ass in gear uh, mm. and 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 you know obviously as as a Portuguese uh, citizen I will do my very best to to aid um, and to uh, grow that anti-fascist anti-fascist struggle as much as I can so uh, so that is that is the silver lining and and the hope at the end of the tunnel but as said we need we need to push the the carriage to the end of the tunnel mm. I think that like the way I think of it is like it's better than they told you like to be revolutionary and anti-fascist and anti-racist. Like it's like way more fulfilling in the history than they, than they make it seem. Well, oh, I joined the left in part to get in. laid and I did. So, you know, like if you're out there, <laughs> that worked thinking, for you. Like, what? It, did. <laughs> it really did. Uh. Uh, but that's, the, I think that tells more how much of a nerd I was before it than like how much of a nerd I became after. I mean, like that's, you need to be very, very sad. That, Thank you for you know, handling my no, feelings. Thank you. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Honestly, like, I mean, you're absolutely right, Rob. Like, it, it is, it is like, it is fun and it needs to be fun and it needs to be joyful and it needs to be a project of, of hope and future and yes. better things to come that we believe in, not that we just say will come, but actually believe we'll build. Um, and I do, like, call me a bit silly, but I really do believe that we can and will build something better uh, cs that, to socialism you know, i'm for it yeah this yeah, is yeah. this is this is what i want yeah let's you already go. have I me mean, sold like, yeah i mean like we might all die in the climate apocalypse but if we'll we be don't, well rested <laughs> exactly tanned and well rested yeah there you go right and uh for anyone listening out there who doesn't know where to find you where can they find you they can find me on Twitter at Jorana Ramiro UK. Um, and I, yeah, that is basically where I'm most. I mean, I'm also on Instagram, but it's that is very shallow and, and doesn't have as much political content. Right. Um, but I do 
you mentioned, obviously, I write for Jacobin. I do write for other uh, publications. So, you know, if you're interested in Portuguese politics, um, Jacobin actually does have quite a few articles in English about uh, Portugal, uh, written some by myself, but also others by the incredible Catarina Príncipe, who is a, a, an editor at Jacobin as well, and mm. a comrade, um, as, as well as other people. Uh, so, you know, go out there. And as said, I, I can't just yet uh, say what I am doing in the anti-fascist uh, journalistic uh, space, but there are things coming up. Mm. Um, and whilst they are primarily in the Portuguese, Portugal uh, space, uh, hopefully they will also be uh, coming out uh, in English at some point. So watch the space, be sure to to follow. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a couple of Portuguese listeners as far as I know. Um, but yeah, links We're to all everywhere. that. Yeah, everywhere. Just like us Irish. Small countries in Europe getting places because of economic ruin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on that note, all those links will be in the description. Thank you for coming on, Joanna. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and we'll see you, gang, next week. Ciao, ciao. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.